With this time, as we open up God's Word to the New Testament letter of Ephesians, our elementary kids are invited to join Mr. David and children's ministry leaders uh, for children's worship. And they're invited to, to gather out in the foyer and to participate in children's worship down in our worship room. But let me invite you, the rest of you to open up God's Word with me to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians Chapter 1 today, beginning in verse 15, and uh, I found that one of the most heartwarming things to do uh, as a parent is to teach your children to pray. Now, they don't always want to pray, but when they do, I love listening to kids pray. There's something special about children praying, and most often... Most often, the prayers of our children uh, cover the basics, right? The very basics, right? Expressing thanks to God for food and for a house. Uh, sometimes I remember my own kids often praying, uh, thank you, God, for my bed to sleep in, right? Thank you for uh, church. Thank you for school. And, and we hope thank you for, for Jesus. But you know what? Uh, as I reflected on that a bit, uh, most often, far too often, my, my own prayers are rather narrow, Right, lacking the sort of depth and intentionality modeled for us in the Scriptures, modeled for us in God's Word. Let me ask you this morning, when you pray, what do you pray for? Who do you pray for? Now, Paul the Apostle is credited with writing many of the New Testament uh, books, many of the letters that are found in the New Testament, and uh, often he includes thanksgiving and prayer for his readers, the recipients of those, those letters. And as we continue to journey through one of those letters today, through the New Testament letter of Ephesians, I want you to listen to the focus of Paul's prayers for the believers that were living there. And as we've previously stated, Paul's already been to Ephesus. He's lived in this place uh, for a few years. He's lived somewhere between two and three, probably three years there in Ephesus, according to the book of Acts. And uh, as he lived there, he was spreading the gospel there. He was preaching Jesus there, seeing many Gentiles, many non-Jews come to faith in Christ. And as a result, many churches, many house churches were born But several years have passed, a number of years have passed, about seven or so years have passed, and Paul probably no longer knows many of the believers that are living there in Ephesus, in that large port city, uh, known for materialism and magic and immorality and idolatry. But he's heard about them. Word is spread. Paul's asking, he's listening, he's in the, he's in the know, he's listening, uh, to what's going on in various places. The gospel begins to penetrate and spread, and, and as he hears about the believers living in Ephesus in the first century, listen to, to how he prays for them. So let's hear how he prays for them. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. As you find your place in God's word, would you join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of, of scripture? Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says that that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Would you pause with me for prayer? And Father, we do ask that you would lead us now, that you would guide us now, that we may know you better. Father, that we may be confident in your blessing. So Lord, guide us in the truth, in your truth. Lead us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit for the glory of your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. When well, the flow of this letter, in the flow of Ephesians, uh, Paul moves in his writing, he moves from praise uh, to prayer. And specifically to, to prayer that's mingled with praise. Once again, once again the text is, is Christ-centered. It is focused on Jesus Christ. And Paul's laser focus on Christ clearly informs the way that he's praying for God's people, the things in which he prays for God's people. You know, many folks think uh, and believe that Paul wrote Ephesians about the same time as he did Colossians and Philemon, and he conveys a similar message of prayer in those letters for the recipients of those letters. Essentially, Paul says this. He says, I'm hearing about your faith in Jesus, and every time I think about you, I thank God for his work in you, I, I thank God for saving you by the same grace with which he saved me. God's grace in fellow believers gives us reason to give thanks. God's grace in fellow believers and other believers and Christians near and far gives us reason to give thanks to God. This is a whole new perspective on Thanksgiving. Most often when we think of Thanksgiving, we're thanking God for things that he has provided for us, and rightly so. But here Paul is thanking God for his work in other believers. We have reason to give God thanks for his grace in fellow believers, to give thanks to our God, to give God thanks for evidence of his grace in others. Do you pray for others? Do you pray for others? Many of us pray for our kids. We Pray for our grandkids. Well, we pray for those that are near us when we hear about their pains, their hardships, particular prayer requests that are presented to us for folks near to us. Perhaps we even pray for a lost neighbor or co-worker and rightly so, all important things for which to pray. But do we pray Ephesians 1 kind of prayers for other Christians? When we encounter or hear about fellow brothers or sisters in Christ, do we thank God for his work in their lives. Do we thank God for his work in saving others, in leading others to come to know and to follow after him? You know, one of the things that we often hope and pray for when we go out into the community, when we go out into the neighborhood as part of our engaged Meadowbrook emphasis is opportunities to share Jesus. Right? We want to trust the Spirit 
We're to look for opportunities to pray for others and ultimately, Spirit uh, willing, Lord willing, lead us into conversations where we can tell people about the good news of life in, in Christ. We, we pray that the Spirit will give us opportunities and that people will, will be receptive to the gospel. But you know, one of the most encouraging things, one of the most encouraging experiences about these outings has been meeting other believers who are part of sister churches. What a reminder of the reach of the gospel. What a reminder of the Spirit's work through His church in the past, in the, in the, past, in the present, and also in the future of making disciples of unbelievers. Like Paul, God's grace in fellow believers gives us reason to give God thanks. To give Him thanks for what? Well, for their faith in Christ. For their faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 15, Paul says, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Right? A Christian is one who has faith in the Lord Jesus. He's the object of our faith. We trust in Him. Paul will go on to say in chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved. In other words, it's not earned, it's undeserved. For it's by grace through faith. It's received in faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. As we saw already, planned, purposed, and initiated by God the Father. Revealed and accomplished by Christ Jesus the Son, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of God. Clearly not something that we earn or deserve, any of us, but a gift of God's grace received by faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we meet other believers, when we encounter other followers of Jesus, let's thank God for their faith in Christ. And let's thank God for the corresponding proof of their faith in Christ, which is their love for God's people, for their faith in Christ and for their love for each other, the love for each other. Paul writes, he's, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Faith in Christ and love for one another. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you're my people. He said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how they're going to know that you're my people, Jesus says. And John goes on to write, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Here's love. It's the gospel of Jesus. Jesus gave his life on. This is the supreme and ultimate picture of, of love. Jesus laid down his life for us. And then he goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But who, who do you know who clearly loves other believers? Who do you know? Surely you know folks in your own life, maybe in your church family or your, your, your family or, or neighbors or others, folks that you know are characterized by love for other Christians. Do you, do you give God thanks for them? When you hear about or see God's grace in fellow believers, let's give, let's give them thanks for their faith in Christ and for their love for one another. It's, it's far too easy, right, to criticize others. It's easy to criticize others, even those that have a lot in common with us. It's easy to flock to the differences, to point out the differences. To say, I can't believe he's like that or she's like that. Or It's easy to criticize others, even other believers, especially in the deeply divided day in which we live. But 
But a mark of spiritual maturity is to recognize God's grace in the lives of others and to give Him thanks for it. To see His grace in the lives of others and to give God thanks for it. And not only does Paul thank God for the Ephesian believers about whom he's heard, but he lets them know it. He lets them know he's thanking God for them. He encourages them. He, he tells them that he's doing so. Friend, when's the last time that you let a sister in Christ know that you thank God for her? When's the last time that you let a brother in Christ know that you were thanking God for his work in their their lives? God's grace and fellow believers gives us reason to give thanks, but Paul doesn't stop there. Our text doesn't stop there, and neither should we. He goes on to pray for them. God's grace and fellow believers gives us reason, yes, to give thanks to God, but also to pray, to pray for others, to pray for those for whom we're thanking God. Reason to intercede. Reason to, to, to lift them up to God. To pray on their behalf. Verse 17, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Translation, I, I keep on asking our good and gracious Father to lead you by His Holy Spirit into the truth. I keep praying that, that the Holy Spirit would guide you He's asking the Holy Spirit to give these believers spiritual eyes to see God even more clearly than they already do. This is the doctrine of illumination, the idea that God opens our eyes so that we might know Him and know His truth, that we don't figure it out on our own, but that He leads us by His Holy Spirit. We see examples of this throughout the Scriptures. In fact, the psalmist would pray as much in Psalm 119 saying, God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God, open my eyes. I want to know you. Open my eyes with the presence and guidance of your spirit. That, that's what Paul's praying for these brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Perhaps remember the, the story of, of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appearing to the two on the road to Emmaus. So you, you remember that story. Jesus has given his life on the cross in the place of sinners. He's been buried. He's been put in the tomb. And he's been raised from the dead by the power of God. And the risen Jesus walks along the road with these two that are grieving the loss of, of Jesus' own life. They don't recognize him. They don't know that, that Jesus is... It's Jesus, right? They, they don't know that that's who is there among them. And so they're grieving and Jesus begins to talk with them. And he asks them, what, what are you so upset about? And they tell him, he said, don't you know what's going on? And Jesus doesn't give away his identity. He just goes along and he begins talking to them about the scriptures and the prophecies. He goes and he has a meal with them. He breaks bread with them. The scriptures say in Luke chapter 24, it says that then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That same chapter goes on to say that then Jesus opened the disciples' minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. That's illumination, and that's what Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers, that they may know the Lord intimately. That they may know Him intimately, so that you may know Him better, he says in verse 17. Church, this is a prayer of, of intercession Asking God to lead those with faith in Jesus to know Him more. 
And to know Him more and more and, and, and more. To have a, a fuller, deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. To know Him in a more personal way. To know Him intimately. Jesus prayed as much for His disciples. John chapter 17 saying, Now this is eternal life. What's eternal life? That they may know You, God. That they may know You, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. Let's pray that fellow believers would know the Lord better, that they would know Him intimately. And let's pray, let's follow Paul's example here and pray that they may be confident in His blessings. Confident in His blessings. In verses 18 and 19, Paul prays that God would give the Ephesian believers spiritual vision, the spiritual vision to see the full extent of God's glorious blessings in Christ. In other words, Paul prays that these Christians would remember the benefits of the gospel. That they would be fully aware of what it is that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. That they would remember the benefits of the gospel. What are those benefits? Well, first, we believers have hope. We have hope, verse 18. So I pray that they may know the hope to which they've been called. I pray that you would know the hope to which you've been called, Paul says. A massive hope for a glorious future with Jesus Christ, with no suffering, no cancer, no COVID, no masks, no Taliban, no chronic pain, anxiety, or depression, no divorce or abuse, no loneliness, isolation, or grief, but instead God's abundant provision in Christ's glorious presence forever and ever and ever. Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. I pray that you would know that hope. That you would be fully aware of the hope that God has given you in and through Jesus Christ. Frank Thielman points out, he says, For Paul, hope does not involve an uncertain expectation that things might turn out well. No, that's not what he's talking about. This is not an uncertain expectation that things might turn out well, but a firm conviction against all appearances to the contrary that God will be gracious to His people because of what He has already accomplished for them in Jesus Christ. That's hope. That's hope a hope that's anchored in Christ's completed work in the past on the cross of Calvary, a hope that's received in the present here and now through faith in Jesus Christ, and a hope that looks forward to a future standing, a future standing with Christ in His eternal kingdom. We have hope, and we ought to pray that other followers of Jesus would be certain of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. We ought to pray that believers not get too comfortable Right? Not too comfortable or consumed with this world, for this is not our home. We're to pray that believers don't act like this is our permanent resting place, our dwelling place. No, it's not. We're to pray that believers know the hope that they have in and through Jesus Christ. And not only do believers have hope for a glorious future, but Paul prays that these believers would understand the status or the position that God has given to them as His glorious inheritance. This is what Paul means, I think, by verse 18. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in His holy people. That the recipients of God's grace, in other words, believers, the recipients of God's grace are incredibly valuable to God. In other words, not only do we have hope for a glorious future, but we also have a position that declares that we are God's possession. We are His riches, His inheritance, His treasure. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. 
In essence, Paul says, I want you to know it. May Christ's people come to know the treasure that they are in Jesus Christ. We have hope, number one. We are a God's glorious inheritance, number two. And number three, we have access to God's power. We have access to His power. His incomparably great power for us who believe, verse 19. We have hope. We are God's treasured possession. And we have access to God's almighty power. What power? The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The very same one that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. This is what Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Friends, the, the implications are numerous. They're numerous for believers living in the first century Roman world, and they're numerous for believers living in our world. Lean on Him rather than yourself. Live for Him rather than for pleasure or prosperity or any political ruler or pagan god. See, the truth is the enemy hates us. The enemy hates God's people. The enemy wants to stop the spread of the gospel. The, the enemy wants to destroy our churches and our marriages and our mission efforts. So let's pray for God's resurrection power that is available to us to encourage and empower and strengthen us to do spiritual battle for God's glory. We need this power. And Paul says, the Bible says that we, we have it. We have it. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. We have a massive hope. We are God's glorious inheritance. And we have access to God's almighty power. These are the blessings, the benefits that God has given us in and through Jesus Christ. The blessings that we can join Paul in praying that every believer would know. That they would know with confidence. And as the apostle contemplates that power, that resurrection power, he can't help once again but to praise God for his power. And so he transitions from thanksgiving to intercession and then to praise. Praising God for his power. Christ's power overall likewise gives us reason to praise. We have reason to praise. Jesus' power overall gives us reason to praise the Lord. Paul's prayer ends in praise. Praising God for exalting his son Jesus. Moving from thanksgiving to intercession to praise. That's the movement of Paul's prayer for these Christians. Paul's praising Jesus as the one who reigns supreme. Christ reigns supreme. He says that he's resurrected, that he's been resurrected by God's power. He's been seated at right, God's right hand. He's superior to every rival here on earth and in the age to come. He's the Lord over Everything. That's what the text is saying here. Neither Caesar nor Satan can stand before this king. Not even Washington, Beijing, or Moscow can muster any weapons or armies to contend against Christ the king. Christ reigns supreme over all, and Christ rules his church. He rules the church. He rules the church. He's the Lord over all, and he's the head of the church. But he's not just the head. The text is not just saying that that he's simply the head or the leader. He certainly is that. He also gives, he gives his victory to the church. Listen to what Paul writes here in verses 22 and 23. He says, And God placed all things 
under his feet. All things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I think what the scriptures are stating here is that Christ and his church are inseparable. Christ and his church are, are inseparable. He says the church is the fullness of him. He's, it's the fullness of Jesus. In, in other words, the true church marked by believers with faith in Christ and love for fellow uh, recipients of, of God's grace, of God's mercy, uh, displays the grace and power of Christ to the world. A visible demonstration of God's victory. During the present age, the church is the realm in which Christ's reign is acknowledged. It's a picture of God's kingdom. It is the gospel made visible to the world. In other words, in other words, churches are outposts of Christ's kingdom. They're outposts of Christ's kingdom in the world, be they faith families gathered in houses in first century Ephesus, be they believers gathered in cathedrals in medieval Europe, be they believers gathered in quiet basements of Afghanistan or in brick buildings in Birmingham. They are gatherings of God's people displaying God's saving grace and His sovereign power. And wherever they are, as we hear about their faith in Christ, as we hear about their faith in the Lord and the love for all of God's people, may we remember, church, may we remember, church, to pray for them, to give God thanks for them and to lift them up to the Lord and to praise God for His work in them, for God's saving grace and sovereign power should lead us to pray for God's people. His saving grace and His sovereign power should lead us as believers to pray on behalf of of God's people. As we encounter brothers and sisters who've experienced God's saving grace in the gospel of Jesus, and as we encounter brothers and sisters who who know God's sovereign power over sin, Satan, sickness, and the world, let's be a people who pray for God's people. Let's pray for God's people. As we hear about His work in them, may we be a people who pray for them. And church, what... What better time to do that, to practice that, to apply this truth than right now? So I want us to transition this morning to specifically praying for other believers. I want us to take this truth that we're hearing in God's Word, and I want us to begin to to pray this morning for other believers as as the Lord brings them to mind. And so what I want to do is I want to prompt you to do so in a few ways. I want to mention some other churches in our area. And you may or may not know people associated with those churches, but if you do, would you just give God thanks for them right where you are? A time of corporate but quiet prayer, would you thank God for them and would you praise continued blessings on them? That Would you pray that they come to know Him more and more? Perhaps you don't know them, but you've heard about them. You've heard about that. We pray the same. I want to mention some churches and some places, perhaps even some places around the world. And as the Lord leads, would you just pray for them right where you are this morning? Let's pray on behalf of other believers. Would you pause with me in prayer? Let's bow together in prayer. Meadowbrook, let's pray for those who are part of the church at Brook Hills. 
Let's pray for those that are part of the fellowship at Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. Let's pray for those at Oak Grove Baptist Church. Friends, let's pray for those that are at Asbury United Methodist Church. Let's pray for those that are at Faith Presbyterian Church. And for brothers and sisters that are part of Christ Church United Methodist. Let's pray for those at Valleydale Church. Let's pray for folks that are part of the family Church of the Highlands. Let's pray for brothers and sisters at North Shelby Baptist Church. Double Oak Community Church. Let's pray for those at A2 Church. For those that are part of Chelsea Village Baptist Church. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church of Asipco. First Baptist Church Pelham. Liberty Baptist Church in Chelsea. pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Montgomery. Pray for those in Decatur, in Dothan. Let's pray for those in Danku, Moldova. For Christians in Dubai, Kabul, Bangalore, Beijing, Tunisia. Let's pray for brothers and sisters in Memphis, in Cincinnati, in Wisconsin. Pray for brothers and sisters in Honduras, Tegucigalpa, and Guaymaca. Pray for believers in the Dominican Republic and the UK. Let's pray for those that know Christ in London and Paris and New York. No, Father, we lift up these to you that you have brought to mind. Father, we thank you for your work in others. Lord, we thank you for your saving grace and your sovereign power. Father, we thank you for the way that you are calling people to, your spe- to yourself. Lord, that we thank you for the way that your gospel is going forth and that your spirit is opening, opening the eyes of the blind to the truths of, of your word. Father, we thank you for your resurrection power that is known 
in the north and the south and the east and the west, across the continents and countries. And Lord, we ask that your church would be strengthened today. Father, we thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you for the gift of brothers and sisters and sister churches who know Jesus and are partnering together to extend the gospel. And Father, we pray that that those who know you in Birmingham and Afghanistan, Lord, would be strengthened in the faith. Lord, we pray that they would come to know you more, more and more intimately. Father, that believers would be confident of your blessings in Tokyo, Pyongyang, Sydney. Father, we pray that your name would go forth and that your people would would be prompted to praise you because you are worthy of praise. And so, Lord, even now, Lord, as we respond in our hearts, as we sing your praises, as we profess our faith through song, Lord, we pray that you would be praised in our lives, in our hearts. Lead us in that way for the glory of Jesus.